We've got our, our own version of that. It's called Dirty Politics. The author of this phenomenal book, Nikki Hager, is with me in the studio right now. Kia ora, good morning, Nikki. Thank you so much for being back on the program. Sure. Pleased to be here. Good morning. Right on. Listen, um, so much demand uh, for you on campus, around the country, filling up halls, and obviously you're going to be at the Hutton Theater this evening at 7 o'clock, courtesy of UBS, and we have some passes um, to give away. It's it's sold out. So these are the last tickets in town. So um, I'm going to give you a little quiz. You guys can text in at the end of our interview. Um, but listen, uh, it's been an incredible three and a half weeks. And, um, I, you know, the, the popular refrain from the public and even some in the media is that uh, we've gotten lost in the weeds of all this between all the email transcripts that have been out and uh, obviously where where do you think journalists are doing a good job or a poor job in synthesizing what this story is about three and a half weeks on from the release of your book? I think that the news media has mostly done a very good job on this, and I've been impressed, and I haven't always been with my books. I think people have have not just given up after a day, and they've continued to pursue the people who are involved to ask them the question pretty right. well. And if people just won't answer, like John Key hasn't, then you can't ask them every minute. But I think there's been a pretty good run on that, and so so good on everyone who's been involved in that. Where the media's, it's harder, is that the idea, the sort of the, the current idea of news that we're stuck in the midst of, is that it has something news means something that happened that day. Right. And so that's why PR people know that they they use the phrase "don't give it oxygen," "don't comment," "don't engage," "don't be involved." Yep. And that they hope that that will close an issue down. And so if you don't answer the question and you don't give it oxygen and you don't engage, you really hope the issue will go away, even though it was just as important and nobody has had their, has been properly, you know, aren't, no one's had to sort of um, answer it properly yet. Right. So that's that's the side of it which is not so good, which is the um, analysing and giving the bigger picture of what's going on. It, it's more a matter of breaking it down into little bits which to try to keep the daily news going but not developing the bigger picture having said that I don't I can't remember anything I've ever done and certainly this is the biggest book my publishers have ever had yeah. where, where a book has been able to get people really really talking and the reason it's done that is because it's not about this or that particular scandal or revelation mm-hmm. it's about a widespread feeling which my book has been a, um, a, a sort of a catalyst for that, that people don't like the way politics has been going. Right, right. Listen, uh, the l- did you think in your heart of hearts, um, I mean, obviously you know about the, the, the strategy, you've unveiled that, uh, you know, keep key above the fray of this messy stuff. Um, but was there, and, and obviously we know about the hollow men and the gap between, you know, kind of popular rhetoric and and, and um, what goes on the internal machinations, um, but I I can't think of a scandal where national party MPs and the leadership have been so on message, giving repeated, canned, unflinching kind of responses to uh, you know divert from from this crisis within their ranks. Did you think in your heart of hearts that there would be something within maybe the Prime Minister, to, to be able to, to front up and say, look, this is not how we want to do it, and we will clean house, but nevertheless, the National Party doesn't stand for this. Or Are you surprised by his reaction to this? Yes and no. I mean, what I'm writing about, and what I was writing about in the Holy Men, and mm-hmm. what I write about elsewhere, is about politicians who don't engage in the issues, who right. actually manage the public rather than being honest and fronting up and, and talking about things. 
So, in that sense, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't surprised. But from another point of view, I think John Key has mostly has has, has actually made a crisis himself with this. The fact that um, what he what what his what his PR people and him obviously decided was that they they had a big problem. Yep. They had been caught out on something which goes to the heart of the authenticity of him as a leader and what their party is doing. And they thought, we can't win the argument, and so we are going to bloody-mindedly ignore things and speak to our people. Right. And so that's why they have really, really stuck to their lines. Their lines have been, this is some kind of a left-wing smear. They use, whenever they talk about me, they say yes. they, yes. and they implies that there's these forces which are probably the Labour Party or Kim.com or something yes. doing something. In other words, they've... So you're the king of the left. You didn't know this, but apparently you are now our, our new leader, apparently. That's anyway. right. I'm a plural. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what that's doing, I mean, I've been watching, and it's just clear what they're doing is they're trying to speak to as much of a big, as big a proportion of the public as they can to say, it's not us who have done the dirty politics. It's them. Oh, Those people, and it's left-wing smear, and it's worked for... A substantial part of the public. That's a real populist us them, the yeah. good honest, keep your head down people against the chattering classes, the liberal, mm. the ivory tower academic. It's yes. some really nasty Nixonian us and them kind of rhetoric. It, look, all we can do is to look and, and and see what's in front of us and learn more about the people and how they operate. But that's a, that's so that's how he's done it. But I already said I think this is a crisis in many ways of his own making because those answers weren't good enough and didn't right. sound good to a huge swathe of people across the country. Yeah. And as I s- I've never had a reaction like like this one I, that 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 the, the damage control hasn't worked. When I walk down the street, honestly, I have someone walk up to me every few steps practically. I yep. have, when I go into a shop, when I go into a plane, when I sit on the bus, there are people talking to me and shaking my hand. In other words, there might be a block of people who watch Seven Sharp and listen yep. to News Talk ZB who are comfortable that the Prime Minister is still a nice man and, and this is all just someone being very mean to him. <laughs> but all over the country there are people who have not been feeling happy with politics where it's suddenly making sense and they're seeing with new eyes and their their frustration and their sense of being left out has has um, has, has, has sort of um, catalyzed and they're realising that something was wrong and it wasn't just them and the and it can be different. And so that's very, I'm finding it incredibly positive. I think they've mucked that up. Right on. Listen, uh, one of the lines, uh, so left-wing bloggers, l- Labour, his, you know, inner circle, they've blogged before as if blogging is now the new evil thing that we have to accept. And everybody who blogs is then somehow evil. But the other one uh, that, that Key was certainly hitting the first two weeks was the facts are dissolving before our eyes. Now, this was an interesting one. Aside from maybe the misreporting of... The prisoner movement, uh, that is a footnote mm. that's not, you know, one of the core claims of the book. Has there been something that was amiss or, you know, there's all footnotes where we have a typo or whatever, but is there been anything? So when he says the facts are dissolving before our eyes, has there been anything amiss? No, there hasn't been. And they haven't said he got such and such wrong. You know, sometimes, sometimes when you make one mistake out of a thousand pieces of information, they say, this is all full of mistakes, for example, yeah. and they give the one example. But they yeah. haven't even been doing that. So it's a Groucho Marx, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes type, uh, it, type of move. It is. And, and actually, I mean, it's just, these moments are actually good for all of us to look and learn and see 
how people do their politics right. because there was another way that John Key could have done it which would have built confidence not just for trying to hold his his loyal people on side but to actually do nation building and to be a leader and the way he would have done that would have been to say I don't agree with everything that Nikki Hager has written but fair enough about this and fair enough about this and obviously something has to happen and I would understand why people weren't happy with it and that's the way that you build something different right it's a it's a different strategy and it's a it's not a sh- not a short term um, how do I bluff my way through is that that's actually when you've got a leader and so what we what we've been seeing is someone who's not being a leader they're being right. a they're, they're trying to be successful political managers through an election campaign but he could have done it differently he could have said as soon as I read that chapter about Judith Collins because I'm the leader of the country this is an important issue of course I have to read what's said mm-hmm. it's clear that she has to go right yep. he could have said there have been things happening in my office which I didn't fully understand I actually think he did but he could have said obviously <laughs> heads have to roll yep. that, that New Zealanders don't believe that, that there should be a dirty, dirty tricks campaign in the Prime Minister's office which is breaking into the opponent's computers which is um, using horrible people to do personal attacks and to poison politics so he, he could have taken the right side of this mm-hmm. and it would have meant that he wasn't just holding on to his you know, loyalists who wouldn't, who who don't want to think bad, but right. actually taking the rest of the country somewhere better. And he this, didn't do that. And this is an important thing about your book. I mean, your book is not written as a you know, let's get rid of the National Party. It's let's change our politics. And he could have possibly been in a position to help lead the change of our politics as a bipartisan. I mean, a conservative could be for transparency in government, the neutrality of the bureaucracy, all of these principles by which we're supposed to uphold. So, I mean, he could that was an opportunity for the National Party. It was an opportunity for John Key. He hasn't been a campaigner on transparency. He has been he's, had, he's, he's been the political manager as right. a successful political manager but he could have done that, yes. And it would have, what's actually happened is um, someone credible in politics was saying to me, a journalist a couple of days ago whether or not John Key wins the election, which he quite likely will, mm-hmm. um, this will define his legacy. That actually he will he will be deeply unhappy that the way he's played politics will not be remembered as Mr. Successful and Friendly. Right. But it will be remembered as the person who was prepared to use the dirtiest tricks and the dirtiest people to prosper. And defend them in yeah. the public sphere. And he had an opportunity when the book came out to look at it and to think hard about who he wanted to be and how he wanted to look to the work of in history and could have done it that way we said which is to say this isn't good enough and I don't believe in this and when I'm returned to government I'm going to clean this up right he didn't do it well let's 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 think about what's happened in the past week uh, obviously I forget if this was on Saturday um, the Kate uh, cactus Kate Cameron Slater uh, Carrick Graham Mark Hutchins email triangle well, that's not a that's a quadrant that's not a triangle that came to light uh, and and it was put out there by the National Party, uh, mm-hmm. and in order to cut Judith Collins adrift, but to somehow encapsulate themselves from the damage of your book, and to be able to claim that Judith Collins now must go, but uh, it had nothing to do with the book. Were you aware of this correspondence? No, uh, I wasn't. And, and actually, as people can see when you try to explain it, it was all getting rather complicated. It's making my head hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this is a book about the use of unscrupulous, apparently independent mad dog or other right-wing bloggers to do the party's dirty work, to attack and smear. So that's the main point of the book. But there's a separate part of the book 
but just which came to light through the documents I had, which showed that not only was the whale oil blog site being used to trip up and cause many scandals and, you know, find out, supposedly find out that Kim.com is a as a Nazi and all those things that they used right. it for, but it was also being used to make them quite good money attacking public health people, sticking up for the tobacco industry, all of it for corporate money. And now that, so this is the, this, so that's another part of the book. What happened recently was, to ex- just to explain the way this kind of political weirdness works, Right. is that, is that from the moment the book was out, Judith Collins, who had already been on her supposed last warning, was under pressure to go. There's, yep. a cha- there's, there's quite a few chapters on John Key's department and his staff. That's the heart of the book. But there's one yes. chapter on Judith Collins where she just looks terrible. The idea that that would be our Minister of Justice of all things oh, yeah. is kind of obscene. And so her, basically her political career was over at that moment. And the pressure was building day by day where the journalists would come back and say, "Why to John Key, why aren't you doing something about this? Why are you not sacking her? And so what did they do? Well, behold another unconvincing little trick which they hoped would work with the loyalists even though it was just going to look terrible to everyone else and that trick was they said you know there's no reason why she has to go she's got our confidence there's nothing in this book which counts the book's disintegrating none of the arguments that stood up you know there's a mistake on footnote number 175 or whatever they might think (laughs) and suddenly Judith Collins has to go because an email which wasn't in Nikki Hager's book and has nothing new and it's completely different has popped up this weekend and suddenly she has to resign. Now, any reasonably intelligent political person has to roll their eyes with disbelief that they expect the public to believe that. But unfortunately, that shows how polarised politics can be because it was aimed at the loyalists. It was aimed at the loyalists who would go, all right, oh, that's good. Now, forgive me, sorry, was it Kate, was it Cactus Kate that provided this email, or was she part of this email? And did they e- did they earmark this for future use if Judith became expendable and Cameron Slater became expendable? I mean, oh, what are the mechanisms th- there? This is getting rather tangled, so I'll try, not, I'll okay. try to untangle it. Okay. What happened was that, that I was asked by the Prime Minister to front up with my evidence that the book wasn't made up. So so I'd gone back to my source, and my source, who had hacked into the whale oil blog site, which is yes. where this began, yes. has been over a couple of weeks, had been over a couple of weeks releasing different things, and his last bit that he was going to release was information about one of the commercial operations that, that whale oil and his friends were doing. And this is where they were um, trying to improve the image and attack the opponents of the finance company man Mark Hodgson who had you know 465 million or so yes. dollars of lost to New Zealanders very unpopular man and they were using the whale oil blog and all kinds of tricky PR politics to try to enhance his re- reputation or to protect his reputation and to trip up the people who were investigating him so that's what was, so this was sort of they were doing the sideline work for, I presume, very good money. They were being paid for it. There's a great quote where uh, where Cameron Slater says to Jordan Williams, "I can, you know, for a guy like MH, I will charge him a bucket load because he can't afford it and he is so toxic." That's right. That was in a dump yesterday, I believe. That's right. That's in the book too. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, and so, and so they were working on the side for this less than um, respectable person in the eyes right. of most people. And then, and so that that was that was known. That was coming out. And then what happened was that one of the people working with Whale Oil, which was a lawyer in Hong Kong who's got the blog name Cactus Kate, yeah, 
who had been working on the Hot Mark Hodgson thing with um, Cameron Slater, mm -hmm. she r she heard that the whole story was coming out, that she was going to be outed for working for right. this guy. Right. She lost her job overnight over it. Mm -hmm. She saw that the National Party was in trouble, and so she thought that she would help. This is what appears to be. She thought ah, she would help okay. the leader's office by sending them in advance what was likely to come out so they could prepare their PR for it. Right. What she didn't know was that she'd given more than, than, than actually we had. And wow. so they took the bit. Wow. That, so what they did was it was kind of such a, again, an eye rolling little trick. Oh they man. took the email which hadn't been in my book and wasn't released by the source which went a little bit further and claimed that that was the reason why Judith Collins had to go, even though there'd been two and a half weeks of increasing pressure based on my book for her to stand down. So Rorschach did not have this email? Rorschach did not have that email, wow. correct. And that's the internal panic that's going on is, oh my gosh, they know everything, let's give them... So, so, so there was a rational reason why when that woman... Kathy Odgis was in trouble and wanted to do something that she handed over the stuff to warn her friends in the National Party that, that, that stuff was coming. But they took, but they used it as an opportunity. They thought, here's an email which doesn't come from the book, which we can pretend had nothing to do with the book, and we will hold up this email and say, nothing to do with the book, nothing to do with all the stuff that we're looking bad about. This was the reason why Judith Collins had to stand out. So it was, it was a hilariously weak little trick to yeah. sound like that they weren't concerned about the book. And the reason they had to do that was really clear. Because if Judith Collins has to stand down because of one chapter of the book, what yeah. are they doing about the other chapters which yeah. go to the ninth floor of the Beehive? Right. Now, listen, um, Cameron Slater has been uh, playing some some legal games. Uh, now, Whale Dump was taken down off Twitter yesterday, came back as, as Whale Dump 2. Um, Cameron Slater is mad at the Prime Minister for outing uh, this particular email. He's talked about, you know, uh, Utu for, for the Prime Minister, this kind of stuff, um, the, uh, taking, some, taking him before the Privacy Commission, but also seeking an injunction um, on the journalists that want to cover the material uh, that's being made available by, by Whale Dump. What do you make of those kind of legal machinations? To throw on top of that, the uh, ombudsman's, uh, you know, looking into the SIS... OIA, John Keyes calls for, uh, you know, a very limited terms of inquiry around uh, Judith Collins and her role. Um, sorry, I've just asked a whole bunch. Let's start with Cameron Slater. Cameron Slater... And what he's trying to do. Cameron Slater has, until now, been a powerful person, but he's only been powerful because he was close to John Key and close to Judith Collins, and people knew that, and so he was empowered by the relationship. And he was being enriched by the tobacco industry and his other organ uh, corporates that were paying him good money to put the, his prop their propaganda on his site. Yep. This has all ended. Mm -hmm. And so he is not a powerful person anymore. I, I genuinely believe that. He'll still have a blog, but that's all changed. So what's going on with him? He's roaring and raging and trying to slam a gate that's already too late. And yep. it's kind of all irrelevant and sad and, and not really to the point now. Okay. So none of this injunction will hold any sway with... Uh with the High Court? I mean, uh, well, the point is, when you've already released all the information right. you're going to, someone f turning up at the last minute and trying to stop you was just kind of right. mad and sad and not really to the point. Oh, okay. All mm -hmm. right. Well, then, uh, actually, all right, here's one. Um, one of the big takeaways from your book, and obviously we spoke about this three and a half weeks ago, is the conversation, and you talked about you know, the, the, the relationship between the Prime Minister and Cameron Slater mm -hmm. is now over. 
Um, but it was very much alive and well at the time that Cameron Slater was hacked for doing the you know objectionable things that he did. And Cameron Slater and his back and forth with uh, Aaron Batnagar talked about how J.K. had called him about uh, you know the, the tough you know consoled him in that tough moment and spoke of the mother uh, of the victim that uh, Cameron Slater you know derided posthumously and said you know she's a you know a nasty, you know used expletives to describe her as someone you know who attended Pike River meetings and gave him a hard time now. John Key was in Greymouth a week and a half ago, and he was met by, you know, Pike River families, and it was made clear to the journalists that the mother of of the person that was smeared by Cameron Slater was across the road, and John Key said, he, he said that, yes, he had recognized her in Pike River meetings and had relayed that in his conversations to Cameron Slater, um, but obviously didn't use expletives. I mean, how did we miss that story? That is confirmation of the final passage in your book that is that paints this horrible picture of John Key consoled Cameron Slater at this moment where he was universally reviled. How is that not seized upon as a story? I mean, that seems like confirmation of, of, of the most damning claim in your book. I agree. So should we just be clear about what he confirmed? Okay. What he confirmed was, right now... John Key is claiming that he only talks to Cameron Slater once in a while and he hadn't empowered him and he wasn't using him in things, which actually the book is about and it's clear that he's not telling the truth on that. Right. But one of the stories in the book, the one at the end, as you say, is that Cameron Slater, when he was probably the most unpopular that he was going to be in New Zealand, this is the time people remember when, when the young man died on the West Coast and Cameron Slater just casually said... Feral dies in Greymouth, does the world a favour. People were furious all around the country. That's right. just something about that struck them in a way that those hundreds of other people he'd attacked hadn't kind of got through. And what, the, what, what, what came out and what John Key's kind of slightly but evasively kind of confirmed now right. is that when, at that moment when Slater was being bombarded with criticism and being reviled around the country, only a few of his closest mates got hold of him to reassure him and to say, I hope you arrive and don't you worry about it. Right. And one of those was John Key. In other words, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, who could have said, this is really outrageous and I mm-hmm. wish someone in my party wouldn't speak like this and we shouldn't, that this was not respectful and I'm sorry about this world, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. did the opposite. He quietly got hold of Slater and, he, and according to Slater's account of it, which John Key and Slater have both since confirmed, said to him, don't worry about her. She's the same effing bitch who yells at me in Pike River meetings. In other words, she doesn't deserve your concern. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a little wow. picture <laughs> into what goes on when we're not putting on the friendly face and pretending mm-hmm. that everything's all right. So, but more or less, he has confirmed that that conversation, whether or not there was effing b or yeah. any of that language, that conversation did happen on that day. Yes. Wow, let's let that sink in, folks. I mean, that's that's, it's, it's that's a big story. It's an incredibly undignified thing for a prime minister to do. Right. And it was part of the, their belief that they could have one face in public and do whatever they liked in private because no one would ever find out, which is why it was so powerful when right. all the stuff came out. Right. Now, um, I guess you've talked about, you know, John Key, John Key may be the prime minister, um, but it may be a different political climate, he may be a different kind of character, legacy-wise. Um, 
you know, the conservative party who appear to have made a little bump in the polls are talking about why your book and what it reveals is important. Winston Peters, who may be a player on the center-right, has talked about a royal commission of inquiry. Firstly, John Key has set out a kind of limited scope investigation into this particular correspondence in and around uh, the serious fraud office and whether or not Judith Collins, you know, exerted undue influence. What do you think are going to be the kind of uh, flow-on effects from the various investigations that are underway, and do you see a Royal Commission of Inquiry as both an objective to aim for or or as potentially on the cards? First of all, the inquiry which John Key has called for about that one email we discussed, which was the one that wasn't in the book, in my opinion, is a total diversion which is intended to go nowhere and be forgotten and to be irrelevant. Yep. So that that was a political trick, in my opinion, just from, from, from how it looks to me. What, when I was writing this, I wasn't thinking about whether it would have an effect on the election. What, whoever wins the election, right. and the polls say it's quite likely national, but not definitely, Actually, the job just begins then, in my view, and I feel optimistic about this. I think that the reaction that there has been to this book from widespread groups of New Zealanders, like piles of people, piles of media people, and piles of academic people, and piles of ordinary people, or people in different parts of the life, means that the discussion is going to go on on this. And, and whether, whether the government that comes in is one which addresses them it or not, I don't think that's the point. The point is, it feels like we've reached a point where we can actually discuss these things about about how we want politics to be and whether how, whether people get excluded from politics and whether we have so many personal attacks. And I I actually feel very optimistic about that. What right. I actually I think that that discussion is going to go on, and whether it's Winston Peters Royal Commission or a whole lot of other things, I think we're talking about exactly the right subject for addressing where the country is going. It's very good. Right. Now, listen, lastly, because i got to let you go, because everybody wants a piece of Nikki Hager today, because it's a big day for you. You're going to be giving a, uh, you're going to be part of a law department panel, which is going to be live streamed. You're going to be giving your speech at Hutton Theatre uh, this evening at 7 o'clock. And if you want to win a pass, text me. And can you think of a nice trivia question? Who is, all right, doesn't matter. <laughs> who, who uh, what is, uh, how about, sorry, name two objectionable bloggers from Nikki okay. Hager's book and one other blogger who you think is actually okay okay alright you gotta name three bloggers that's good This that's a great that's a great question Sp- on that on that topic though what do you think about the repositioning of someone like Matthew Hooten who is um, you know at the at Don Brash wing of the National Party who is involved in some of the yucky back and forth between Farrar Slater Cactus Kate around you personally and um, and and publishing your residential address, this kind of stuff, and his now uh, the man of principle position that he's taking about the prime minister and what the prime minister should be doing and and all of this kind of stuff. What do you what do you make of his reposition or, or somebody like Sean Plunkett as well? Well, let's let's do one. Matthew Hooten. Um, he's attacked me like more viciously, I think, than anyone in the country over the years. Right. Different things I've written, and also what. And recently people may have heard him in the news saying John Key should be getting forcing his chief of staff to resign and he should have forced Judith Collins yep. to go sooner. Very strong like that. What it, what it shows people who, who aren't used to national party politics is something which I work with and experience, which is that parties aren't monoliths. They're not all people who think the same way, that you can have deep factions and enmities 
and people you have more principled people and less principled people and people with different interests and we don't normally see it because we normally get the you know like the National Party billboards this fake picture of all the the rowers rowing together in unison it's never like that it's a hugely complicated thing and what we're seeing with Matthew Houghton is that he's not happy with some of these people And, and you know all credit to him for being prepared to say it Right. Okay. So, uh, well, listen, Nikki, we thank you so much for your time. You've been very generous generous with us here at Radio 1 and The Revolution, and obviously we look forward to your engagements here uh, on campus at Otago. And uh, listen, congratulations on everything, that the, the uptake of your work and everything that, uh, you know, the public discussion that it's kicked off. And um, if you haven't already bought the book, go out and buy it. What are the numbers? Are we we're past 15,000? What are the numbers? Somewhere around there. It's... It's, it's a great achievement. It's the best-selling book that, that I'll ever have, probably, and I really recommend it. Can I say something? Yes. Don't listen to it through the media. Borrow a book. Take it from the library. Read someone else's book, but it's really worth reading. Right on. I yeah. couldn't agree with you more. Nikki Hager, thank you so much. All the best. This is Boots Riley.